Mark 4, verse 21 through 25, page 764. If you have a pew Bible, when you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. Mark 4 and 21. And he was saying to them, A lamp is not brought to be put under a basket or under a bread, is it? Is it not brought to be put on the lampstand? For nothing is hidden except to be revealed, nor has anything been secret, but that it would come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he was saying to them, Take care what you listen to. By your standard of measure it will be measured to you, for more will be given to you besides. For whoever has, to him more will be given. And whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. The title of the message this morning is Jesus Speaks. Let's pray. Our Father, we love you. You are great and awesome, worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. Guide us today and help us to lay aside the cares of life as we come to this time in the Word. Father, we are... Careful to be thankful for this, the freedom that we have. Lord, we know it's not this way everywhere. We know many places today, our brothers and sisters are gathered together and huddled in fear. What's coming for them and what could find them. Fear that even some in their midst could be working for the enemy to turn them over and they would be cast into prison or be executed. Yet they've gathered and they're going to declare your word. They're going to sing your praise and they're going to go out and tell somebody the good news about Jesus. Help us, Father, not to take for granted the freedoms we have. That's not to take for granted the privilege we have to gather openly, freely, a beautiful facility in the name of Jesus to openly and enthusiastically sing his praise to study His words, apply them to our life, and go out this week and be bold lights shining in the darkness. And there's just the freedom for us to do that. Let us be amazed at the freedom we have. Let us be amazed at the resources we have. Let us be amazed at how good You have been to give us all of these things. And let us use them all for Your glory. Guide me today that I would... Be filled with your Holy Spirit and I could speak your words and your ways for your glory. That what I say would, it would come from you and not me. It would be your will and your want that I would be accurate with what I say about your word. Give us ears to hear. Let your words sink deep into our hearts and bring forth good fruit for your glory. Let us grow in our relationship with Jesus. Father, we don't want an academic faith. It just acknowledges, yeah, there's a... Jesus that lived and died and rose again. But we want a living faith with a living Christ. We want to know Him. The power of His resurrection. We want to be a part of what He's doing in the world today. We want to live lives like the song says. He walks with me and He talks with me. Help us, God, to grow in this. Let our hearts be knit tightly with Yours. Make us to have just a holy hatred of of our sin, first and foremost. Let us be a people constantly seeking you to purify us, 
purge from us anything that does not bring you glory, anything that does not come from you. And let us be as holy as saved sinners could possibly be. Let us be your people, fully devoted to your will, who always bring you glory. We ask in the mighty name of Christ, our Savior. Amen. You may be seated. Now, the passage we're looking at, and we're not going to really look at it deeply today. We're going to look at it deeper in another day. But it continues the theme started in the parable of the soils. And it is primarily about how we hear Jesus. In verse 21 and 22, the light it speaks about is the words of Jesus. Verse 24 and 25, we're told to be careful how we hear. That those who hear well will be given more and those who refuse to hear will will even lose what they've already heard. And the connector between these two parables is verse 23. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Both parables are about hearing Jesus. And the connection tells us to to be sure we have ears to hear. And, And part of the idea is those who want to hear Jesus will. And those who don't want to hear Jesus won't. And so what we're going to talk about for the next couple of times, our studies in Mark, is largely based on the idea that those who have ears to hear will hear. Uh, But having ears to hear is of no value unless there is something to hear. In this case, to hear Jesus speaking. So today we're going to talk about the fact Jesus speaks to us in our day. Now, as we begin this study on Jesus speaking, I bring to it three foundational principles that I hold an unwavering belief. One is Jesus still speaks today. Jesus is not a dead Savior. He is a living Christ. He has risen. He has ascended to heaven. He intercedes for us and he never dies. He is there and he is actively at work in his church and in his people. We see this in so many places throughout God's word. Uh, one key one that to me is so important is and we looked in Revelation. We saw Jesus walking among the seven candlesticks at the end of Revelation chapter one. Well, the seven candlesticks represented the seven churches telling us Jesus walks among his churches. Jesus is active. He is not passive. He still speaks today. Second foundational truth I have is Jesus speaks We can hear and we can know his voice. Now, we'll look at this passage more next week. But in John chapter 10, Jesus says his sheep hear his voice. Right. He knows them by name. He speaks and his sheep hear his voice and follow him. The the language Jesus used in that speaks of both knowing the sound of his voice and the words he is speaking. Right. And it is his sheep that he speaks to. It doesn't say he speaks to his apostles. It doesn't say he speaks to his missionaries. It doesn't say he speaks to his prophets or his pastors or his deacons or his Sunday school teachers. He, he speaks to his sheep. Is the Lord your shepherd? Then Jesus speaks to you and you can know his voice and follow him. And the third foundational principle is this. We all want to hear Jesus speak to us. If Jesus still speaks today... And since we are his sheep and we can hear his voice, then every disciple of Jesus should want to hear his voice so we can follow him. Now, with these three foundational principles in place, there are three questions we need to answer 
in order to understand Jesus speak. One is, how does Jesus speak? Second question is, how can I be sure it's Jesus speaking? Third question, how can I position myself to better hear Jesus speak? Now today we're only going to focus on the first two questions. How does Jesus speak? How can I be sure it's Jesus who's speaking? And then next time we're going to look at how to position ourselves to better hear Jesus speak. So the question arises, how does Jesus speak? We have to be able to answer this question if we're going to have ears to hear. The thing is, the book of Job tells us God speaks in a variety of ways, but we don't perceive it. So the problem is really never that Jesus isn't speaking. The problem is we don't recognize his voice. Jesus is not limited to any one particular way to speak to us. So the main thing we need to know today is Jesus speaks in a variety of ways. We just need to be able to recognize it. Jesus speaks in a variety of ways. We just need to be able to recognize it. Today I want to talk about the two most common ways Jesus speaks to us and then give us some tests that will help determine if it's really Jesus who is speaking to us. The first is Jesus speaks through God's word. The primary way Jesus will ever speak to anyone is through God's word. One of the better descriptions of God's word given to us is in Hebrews and explains why it is so important that we hear Jesus through his word. It says the word of God is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, even penetrating as far as the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, is able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. There is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare in the eyes of him to whom we must answer. God's Word is living and active. It's not a dead document. It's not just a regular book. It is the living Word of the living God. This means the Word of God is still relevant to us today. It still speaks to us today. It still works in us today to accomplish God's will and God's want in our lives. Not only is God's Word living and active, it's powerful. right? God's Word is sharper than any two-edged sword. It can penetrate as far as division of soul and spirit, joints, In marrow, it's able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. The metaphor of a sharp sword pictures God's word being able to cut deep into our innermost thoughts and desires, revealing who we really are on the inside. God's word can reach past our outer actions and get to our attitudes. God's word can get past the things we say And get back to the the motivation why we do the things we do. God's word can get us right down into our actual desires. So God's word at times, it will challenge us, convict us and change us. Not just in in outward actions, but in, in any area of our life. It doesn't just tell us things that we ought to be doing. Uh, or things that we shouldn't be doing. But it also challenges us about why we do the things we do. You you can do the right thing for the wrong reason. And if we do the right thing for the wrong reason, God's word will, will cut us and convict us of that. You can do the right thing with no desire to do the right thing. And if our desire is not to do the right thing, even if we do it, God's word will convict us about our desires not being right. Or we can do the right thing with wrong attitudes. And when we do the right thing with wrong attitudes, God's words will speak to us and it will convict us about our attitude and show us what things need to be changed about it. God's word can do this 
Not only because it's living and active, but because there is no creature hidden from Jesus' sight. All things are open and laid bare to him to whom we must answer. The reason God's word can speak to our motivations is because Jesus knows our motivations even if we don't tell them. The reason God's word can speak to our attitudes is because Jesus knows our attitudes even if we do a good job of hiding them. Jesus, the reason God's word can deal with with any area of our life is because Jesus knows. He knows everything there is to know about us. And so he can take his word and he can use it to speak to us in very personal and practical ways at any moment of time. Is there a sin we need to be convicted about? Jesus will speak to it through his word. Are we discouraged in need of encouragement? Jesus will speak to it through his word. Do we need guidance about something in our lives? Jesus will speak to it through his word. Is there a change Jesus wants us to make in our lives? He'll speak to it through his word. Whatever it is, Jesus can and will speak to it through his word. This applies to our personal study of God's word. And when we hear God's word preached and taught, Jesus will speak to me through his word when I read it on my own. And then Jesus will speak to me as I listen to sermons and I listen to the word being taught. And it's the same with you. When you go home this week and you get into the word, Jesus will speak to you about issues and things going on in your life. And then when you come to church and the word of God is preached, Jesus will speak to you about issues and things going on into your life. We've probably all had experiences where we went to church, the preacher preached, and it felt like he was speaking very specifically to us. Right? I mean, it dealt so specifically to us, it was freaky. It was almost like they followed us around and took notes and preached what they saw. But that's not what happens. What happens is there is an omniscient Jesus who sees all about our lives and he takes the word as it's proclaimed and he begins to poke us and prod us and deal with us about those individual things to such an extent that it does feel we are being personally spoken to in the moment. And what it is, is we are being personally spoken to in the moment, but not by the preacher, but by the Savior, by Jesus. Anytime we come to God's word, we should come with a sense of expectation and excitement. We should come with expectation. Jesus is going to speak to me through his word. We should come with excitement. Jesus is going to speak to me through his word. We should have this when we get down to read our Bible on our own. We should have this when we come to church and the word of God is going to be preached to us. We should always, anytime we come to God's word, be filled with excitement and anticipation. For these are the very words of God that are living and active. All things are open to Jesus and he will take his word and speak to us in whatever ways we need to be spoken to in a moment. Jesus speaks through his word. Secondly, Jesus speaks through the Holy Spirit. There are times when Jesus will place ideas on our minds through his Holy Spirit. He will give us an impression of something we're supposed to do, something we're supposed to say, or something he wants to change about our lives. These are going to be times where we're not necessarily in the Word. Uh, or it brings to mind something from the Word that doesn't particularly apply to that particular thing. But it's the Holy Spirit speaking and leading and guiding us. We see this in, in God's Word. Philip was told by the Holy Spirit to go and join the chariot. He was told to go and share the gospel with him. The Holy Spirit speaking to people in the book of Acts was not something that was uncommon. 
It happened over and over again. If you read through the book of Acts and see the number of times people were led of the Spirit, the Spirit explicitly says the Spirit spoke to them, it's significant. It is a, a large number of times. Now, typically though, as Baptists, as free will Baptists, our view is Jesus doesn't do that anymore. We've often kind of come up with that idea, whether we say it out loud or whether we think it in our minds, the idea is Jesus doesn't do that any longer. But the question before we make that decision I want to ask is, why do we say that? Why do we say Jesus doesn't speak in this way any longer? Is it because somewhere in God's word it says there will come a date and after this date Jesus will no longer speak to the Holy Spirit in that way? There's not. I mean, there, there's not any verse that gives us any indication of this at all. Rather, God's word consistently tells us Jesus does speak to individuals through the Holy Spirit, tells them things he wants them to say, things he wants them to do, and things he wants them to change. So why are we often hesitant to think the Holy Spirit would speak to us, Jesus would speak to us through the Holy Spirit, or to expect it, that the Holy Spirit would speak to us and lead us to do something? I think, I think there are probably two main reasons. First is it, it's never happened to us in a way We've recognized. A lot of times what we do is we say, well, I've not experienced that. Therefore, that's not real. I think another reason is it makes us feel uncomfortable. Right? Because we don't want to be like them, do we? And you know who, who they are. And when we do this, what we, allow, what we do is we allow our experience or our lack of experience dictate what Jesus will or won't do. And we're not allowing God's word to dictate what Jesus will or won't do. Or we're saying, what makes me comfortable, my comfort determines what Jesus will or won't do. And we're not allowing God's word to dictate what Jesus will or won't do. Now, to be sure, there are people who abuse this. There, there's no doubts about that. We have all seen... What I lovingly call the crazies on TV or on YouTube or on Facebook receive some sort of word from the Lord that miracle of miracles greatly benefits them personally or benefits their ministry. Wait, Lord's speaking. Somebody here is supposed to give a million dollars to our ministry. If you sow that seed into our ministry, the Lord says He's going to bring it back to you 30, 60 or a hundred times as much. Right now. Don't think about it. Don't wait. The Holy Spirit says do it immediately. Now, we, we've seen that. And we've seen the crazies. And what we see in the crazies is. I don't want nothing to do with that. I, I refuse to be one of them. I refuse to cross a line. And be like that. And what we do is we allow their abuses. To keep us from the idea of Jesus speaking to us. In this sort of way. And, and I've been there. I have very much, I'm very hard on the crazies. Hence the thing I call them the crazies. I don't want to be a crazy. I would never be in the camp of the crazies. But one of the things I've decided is, I'm not going to allow the crazies to keep me from something that's real. I'm not going to allow the crazies to, to keep me from something that is legitimately from Jesus. Right? I, I refuse to be so afraid of being like them that I miss out on something that is meant to be mine through faith in Christ. 
You know, just because some people abuse Jesus speaking through the Holy Spirit doesn't mean we should throw the baby out with the bathwater. A second reality with this that I've thought about is where there's a counterfeit, there's usually something real. Right? I mean, you don't see a whole lot of counterfeit $3 bills floating around trying to be passed off at gas stations and restaurants, do you? Why? There's no such thing as a real $3 bill. So they don't make they don't bother putting forth the effort to forge one. Why would Satan counterfeit something that wasn't real? It doesn't it doesn't cause as much confusion. It doesn't cause as much strife. It doesn't cause people to be as leery. It doesn't have as much oomph and power. Satan wants to get the most bang for his buck for everything he does. So to counterfeit something real and cause an entire group of People to say, that's crazy, I'm not going there, none of it's real. That's a lot of bang for his buck. He's counterfeiting something real so that we will push back and we will resist it. We should never let a counterfeit keep us from the real thing. Jesus speaking to us through the Holy Spirit is a real thing. God's word and experience testify of this. God's word we see here, we see in other places. Let me tell you an experience I've had with this. Years ago, I don't know how long we've been here, maybe four or five years. I was deeply discouraged. And I was in the church one day praying and asking God questions about why things were going on, things that this, just all of these questions and concerns, and was really, really discouraged about everything. And I prayed. And a little bit later, after I finished praying, a lady called the church, a lady from the community, just a, just a person, just a regular person. She wasn't a pastor. She's a prophet or an apostle, just just as a sheep of Jesus. Say, so, hey, do you have time for me to come by and talk to you for just a minute? I knew her. Her son had gone to our church for a little while. Um, yeah, sure. She came by. She said, I was washing the dishes. I felt like the, the Lord wanted me to say some things to you. Are, are you okay with that? It's a Baptist. I said, yeah, sure, go ahead. And then she began to answer questions I had asked God right here at this altar. Nobody was here, middle of the summer, no kids. No, I mean, there was literally nobody but me and God in this building asking these questions. And she comes and she's answering the questions, not in a general mentalist sort of way, but in very specific terms, even using some of the words I had prayed. Saying things like, "Will you ask, you wonder this, well, here's what the Lord says. Man, I was, I was blown away. Not only was that super encouraging, but then when she came to the end of it, our church was struggling financially. We had a, a need for a certain amount of money. And she said, I feel like the Lord wants me to give you an amount of money too. And she wrote out a check and handed me a check for exactly the amount we needed. Now, that encouraged me. I mean, I, I was as discouraged and as despondent and as despairing as I have ever been in my life. And I felt revived, ready to press on, do the will and the work of God. I'm going to tell you, the devil didn't encourage me that day. This lady never came and talked to me like that again. She didn't just sit at the house and be like, I'm going to go tell Brother Stacy these things. So where did it come from? It came from Jesus. Through the Holy Spirit. It's consistent with God's word. It 
edified and strengthened and helped me and our church as a whole. It's a real thing. Jesus really speaks. He speaks through his Holy Spirit in these sorts of ways. But, and here's where it gets difficult. We have to realize every idea entering our mind is not necessarily Jesus speaking to us. So that leads us to the second question. How can we be sure it's really Jesus? We have to test things. We have to be sure it's really Jesus who is speaking. And I want to give you five questions today to ask if you feel like the Lord is speaking to you in one of these ways. And these will form a filter to help discern between Jesus' voice and something else. If something passes all five tests, I think we can be confident it's from Jesus. If it doesn't, we can be pretty confident it's not from Jesus. So the test, number one, does it square with God's word? This is the most important test. This is the number one test. If it fails here, doesn't matter what it does in the others. Since God's word is the primary way Jesus speaks to us, then regardless of how Jesus speaks to us, if it's really Jesus, it will not contradict God's word. Lots of things we could look at to show this, but let me show you one passage to drive this truth home. Peter testifying about his experience with Jesus. We didn't follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when we received, when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. Peter is explaining the stories he told them about Jesus. They weren't nifty ideas. He didn't, and the other apostles didn't make them up. They weren't just inspirational stories to kind of pet people up. They were true stories of the God man who lived, died. And rose again. Peter knew they were real stories because he was there. He saw them. He was very aware of what happened. He touched Jesus. He watched the miracles. He was a part of the miracles. He walked on the water. He watched Jesus die. He felt the despair of the death of Christ. He saw the empty tomb. He saw the risen Christ. He was restored back by Jesus. And in the midst of this, he says, Also, I saw Jesus when he received glory and honor. He's talking about the Mount of Transfiguration. Remember, there's one story where Jesus takes a couple of the apostles up on a mountain. And while he's there praying, his clothes become white and shiny. And then there's Elijah and Moses meet with him on the mountain. And a voice from heaven speaks and says, this is my beloved son. Peter says, I saw I was there. I saw it. I was confirmed this. When I saw that, I knew. And he's God. He's the God man. He's the son of God. It's all real. It's all true. I was an eyewitness to all of this. Now, his eyewitness testimony is powerful all by itself. But Peter then does something that is amazing. He goes on to say, and we have something more sure. I want you to think about that. He saw Jesus. He walked with him and he talked with him and he watched him die and he saw the miracles. He saw the empty tomb. He met the risen Christ. He heard the voice from heaven. He saw him radiate the glory of God. And with all of that, Peter still says, we have something more sure. What on earth 
could be more sure than Peter's personal testimony, his personal experience, the prophetic word. Now, to be sure we know what he's talking about, he goes on, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns, the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. He's talking about the Word of God. Not, not just a, an individual prophecy that a prophet gave, but the Word of God as a whole. So here's Peter. He has seen Jesus. He has an eyewitness testimony. He heard the voice from heaven thunder. But he says there's something even more sure than that. God's Word. So here's what this would mean for us. Peter is, is emphasizing the authority of God's word. Right? God's word is the final authority. So let's say we go out of here today. And we're alone in our prayer closet. We're praying and we hear a voice from heaven thunder about something we're supposed to do. Something we're supposed to change. Something we're supposed to say. You know what we would have to do in that moment? No matter how amazing that experience might be. We would have to open up this book. And we would have to look to make sure it didn't contradict it. Because if it contradicted this book, it would not be Jesus speaking to us. No matter what our experience in that moment was. If we had a vision of someone saying, I'm Jesus who was crucified and has risen. Go and do this. If it did not make, if it was not consistent with this book, if it contradicted this book in any way, we would have to reject it as not Jesus. See, our experiences aren't the final standard. God's Word is always the final standard. So anytime we think Jesus is speaking to us, we have to test it against the Word of God. And if it ever contradicts the Word of God, if it ever violates the Word of God, we can confidently throw it out and say that was not Jesus Speaking to us. The surest word we have. Not my experience with a lady coming to tell me encouraging things that I needed to hear. Not what somebody on TV testifies about how God spoke to them. The surest word we have is the word of God. And everything must ultimately be tested against God's word. Anything from Jesus will square with God's word. At no point will Jesus ever contradict God's word. And anything contradicting God's word is not Jesus. So, does it square with God's word? Secondly, does it convict or condemn me? One morning I woke up with a, a strong sense of, of condemnation. I felt early, utterly condemned before the Lord. It weighed heavily Upon me so much that I thought I, I'm just I'm, I'm worthless. I'm the worst. I, I, I am a terrible disciple of Jesus for doing. And then it hit me. There was no particular issue. I felt condemned for it was the general sense of unworthiness leaving me feeling condemned. You ever experienced that? Nothing particular, just a vague sense of I'm worthless. I'm no good. I'm I'm probably not even saved. And if we. 
not careful, what we do is we think, well, that must be Jesus. That's how he feels about me. And it's just being communicated through this feeling. But what if that vague sense of unworthiness, what if I told you that vague sense of unworthiness, it was never, not, not usually Jesus, but never actually Jesus. And you might reply, well, wait, we know the, he convicts us, right, about things we're doing wrong. And, and that's true. And conviction can make us feel bad. But conviction and condemnation are not the same thing. In, in many ways, condemnation is a satanic counterfeit to Holy Spirit conviction. Let, let me give you some ways to know the difference. Conviction is from God, but condemnation is from Satan. Right? Conviction and condemnation, they seem similar. But they're very different. Conviction comes from God through the Holy Spirit and points the way to change. Condemnation comes from Satan and just makes you feel bad. Condemnation often comes in the form of vain regrets. Right? Have you ever had a day where you're going through life? Everything's going great and something from your past flies into your mind? Not something good. Not something from your past that brings a smile to your face or a chuckle because of how fun that was. Something bad. Something you're ashamed of. Something... You made a mistake. You did wrong. You, you really were bad. And as the memory runs through your mind, your peace and your joy is essentially destroyed. And you're overwhelmed with condemning thoughts about yourself. These are vain regrets because you can't go back and change them, can you? That's what makes them a vain regret. You regret what you've done, but you can't fix it. You can't go back and make a better choice. You can't go back and, and do differently. Well, that's not from God. God isn't pressing on us about things in the past we can't change. That's Satan. That is satanic condemnation, making us feel bad and feel worthless about things we cannot undo or fix in any way. Condemnation is often a very vague sense of inadequacy. In Revelation, Satan is called the accuser of the brethren who accuses Christians day and night before God. One way to recognize satanic accusation and condemnation um, is that there is not anything specific. It's just... I feel miserable. I, I'm no good. I'm a worthless Christian. Or, or it may even come like you're, you're a worthless Christian. You're no good. Right? But either way, it's, it's not specific. There's not this issue and you need to fix it. <clears throat> it's just this general sense of worthlessness, inadequacy that overwhelms us. It's, it's condemnation and it comes from Satan. Because conviction... It's always specific and it always leads to change. Right? Where condemnation is this vague sense of inadequacy, conviction is very specific. Jesus, when he deals with us, he deals with us about very specific attitudes, actions, reactions, values, priorities, or relationships. Where condemnation just makes us feel bad, conviction shows us what needs to be changed and how to change it. It's also very specific. You need to repent of this and you need to do this instead. You need to apologize to this person because you did this. You need to stop doing this and start doing that. You're not doing this and you need to start doing this. Right? It is always very specific on an issue and on what we need to do. Jesus doesn't want to make us feel bad. That's not the point of what Jesus does in our lives. The point of what Jesus does in our lives is to make us like him. So it will be this issue, change this and do this 
instead. Always conviction is very, very specific. <clears throat> Condemnation pushes us away from Jesus. When we feel that general sense of inadequacy and worthlessness, we kind of begin to think maybe that is Jesus' view of me. So I'm not going to pray. I can't really go to the Lord. I can't really go and pray. I'm not going to read my Bible. There's no point in going to church. And all of this, it makes us feel like we don't want to be around Jesus. We don't want to pray. We don't want to read the Bible. And the question we want to ask ourselves is, who do we think that would come from? Do we really think it's God the Father who has come up with the idea of Jesus coming and dying for our sins that's telling us, pushing us away? Do we think it's Jesus who, who died for our sins who is pushing us away? Do we think it's God the Holy Spirit who initially drew us to Jesus that's now pushing us away? Of course it's not. <clears throat> Those feelings of, I'm worthless and I should flee from Christ and, and get away from Him and have nothing to do with it, that's never from Jesus. Conviction, on the other hand, always brings us closer to Jesus. That's the goal. Jesus convicts sinners so they'll understand their sin and they will turn to Him and be saved. It's not just to make them feel bad about their sin. It is to bring them to Him for salvation. Jesus convicts us when we stray, not just to make us feel bad for straying, but to get us back on the right path and get us closer to Him. Even if we're not straying. Even if Jesus is just working to sanctify us, the point is to drive us to Him so that we can be changed and become more like Him. Conviction always, always pushes us closer to Jesus when we surrender to the conviction. If you've repented of your sins, believed in the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation, God's Word declares there is no condemnation for you in Christ Jesus. Jesus has ensured His disciples will never be condemned. So feelings of condemnation never, ever come from Jesus. Instead, they always come from Satan. So does this convict me or condemn me? Thirdly, is this something Jesus would do? Jesus is the standard by which we measure everything we do. God's Word says the goal of being a disciple of Jesus is to be like Jesus. To have the same character of Jesus. To act the way Jesus would act, to react the way Jesus would act, to have the same priorities Jesus had, to value what Jesus valued. Therefore, Jesus would never tell us to do something contradicting or hindering us from being like Him. Now, when Jesus speaks to us through the Holy Spirit, it's not really an audible voice. It is more like a thought coming into our minds. This means the voice isn't necessarily going to sound different. It's not necessarily going to be a thundering, booming voice from the mountaintop. What will be different about it will be the content. In a broad way, we can say the thoughts running through our minds can come from a variety of places. They could come from the world. They could come from the flesh. They could come from the devil. They come from Jesus. Right? Just the, the indoctrination of the world around us can change the way we think. The devil can mess with our minds and change the way we think. Our own sinful nature can change the way we think. And then Jesus can change the way we think. So we have an idea running through our minds and we want to know if it's Jesus speaking to us. We need to ask ourselves, where did this originate? Who would want me to do this? Is this something the world would want me to do? Right? Is this consistent with the, the attitude and the values of the world at large? Is this something my sinful nature wants me to do? Is this something the devil would want me to do? Or is this something Jesus would want me to do? A number of ways this could play out with money, time, parenting, evangelism. 
something to say, something to do, a relationship to start, a relationship to stop, you name it. And Jesus could speak to us about it. Years ago, I was doing a starting Matthew, starting a New Year daily Bible reading. And I was reading in, in the Gospel of Matthew about the need to go and apologize to people who have ought against you. And as I read that, a particular person in our community came to our mind. Someone I had not seen, thought about, or talked to in 10 years. And a particular, their name, and why I needed to apologize to them came into my mind. And I had to decide, is that really something God would want me to do? Well, here's what I can tell you, right? I don't think the, world, the world's attitude isn't go apologize to someone for something that happened 15 years ago. My sinful nature absolutely did not want to do it. I'll promise you that I did not want to go and apologize because one didn't think I'd done anything wrong, but that's beside the point. My sinful nature did not want to go and apologize. I'm pretty sure it wasn't something the devil would want me to do, go and apologize. So where would it have come from if it wasn't that? Why so specific? And so I did. I, I had to go and apologize because I felt to me in that moment it was so clear that it was Jesus wanting me to do it that if I had not done it, I would be disobeying him very clearly. So that's how we have to do it. If the thought runs through our mind, is it that? Is it Jesus? Is it my sinful nature? Is it the world? Is it the devil? Each time we think Jesus might be speaking to us about something, we need to ask, where could this thought have originated? Who would want me to take this action? Who would not want me to take this action? Right? Is this something the world would want me to do, my flesh, the devil, or Jesus? If it is consistent with the character the values, the priorities, the attitudes, actions and reactions of Jesus, we can be confident it's from Jesus. Now, let me say this with this, with that part right there. Here's my conviction on this. Something may come into our mind. Maybe it's not Jesus, but it's still consistent with Jesus. Certainly not the world, the flesh, the devil wanting us to do it. And if it's not Jesus and we go do it because we think it is, I think we get points for trying. Right? I think anytime we try to do what Jesus would have us to do, I think we get points for trying. I think He is gracious and kind and knows we're not going to get it right every single time. But if we are in good faith doing what we think Jesus wants us to do, there's going to be no harm, no foul, even if we're wrong in that moment. Does that make sense? Much better to say, I think Jesus wants me to do it and try than to set and come up with all these reasons why I'm not sure Jesus would want me to do it. If it's consistent with Him, then I think we should just act on it in faith, trusting Him. And then, finally, do I have, not finally, um, do I have peace about it? Yeah, finally. Now, this one is, is tough for me because I know peace can't be the end-all, be-all of knowing what we're supposed to do, what's right, what's God's will. An example of this would be Jonah. Jonah was told by God to go to Nineveh, preach to them that they were going to be destroyed. Jonah goes down. He goes in the opposite direction. After getting on a ship and going in the opposite direction, he goes below deck and takes a nap. He is perfectly at peace and completely outside the will of God. But while that's true, at the same time, God's Word often speaks about peace in connection to following Jesus. So there should be some measure of peace about our decision. If Jesus is genuinely speaking to us, it's going to bring peace to our heart if we 
follow it. Now, let me be clear. This doesn't mean we won't be afraid. This doesn't mean we won't feel a bit intimidated or overwhelmed. This doesn't mean that there won't be conflict along the way of trying to do it. Instead, the peace means we'll have certainty. We're doing Jesus' will despite the fear, the anxiety, and the conflict. When Kelly and I determined we were coming to Guyman, all sorts of things went wrong. We, I went to a revival with my dad down around the Arkansas border. When we came out of the revival service, we had a message. Sarah was violently vomiting and sick, and they were on the way to Tulsa to put her in the hospital. We spent the week weekend in the hospital with her terribly sick. Um, while we were in the hospital, Kelly and I had this enormous fight that was entirely her fault. We came home from the hospital and we found both of our dads working out in the backyard. Our sewer line had ruptured in the backyard and was having to be replaced. Uh, when we went to rent a U-Haul to pack up to come up here, we loaded everything we had into the U-Haul. And the U-Haul was full and there was still stuff in the house. And there were no U-Hauls in Muskogee, Tahlequah, Wagner, Warner, or any nearby town. We could not find a, another U-Haul. And, and so there, all of these things piled upon us. And so we had a just a complete, we shut the door on the U-Haul while we were inside it. And we sat down and we just had a, an ugly cry meltdown. And so after we had cried a few minutes, Kelly said, do you really think we're supposed to move to Gaiman? I said, I, I do. I think this is what God wants us to do. She said, I, I do too. And we were all kinds of stressed out. And we were all kinds of concerned about what was going to happen in this moment. But in spite of all the conflict, all the anxiety, all the uncertainty, we had peace. We were doing what Jesus wanted us to do. That's the way the peace works in this. Yes, it's hard. Yes, it's scary. But yes, this is the way Jesus is leading us. Now, one last thing, and we'll close. It's important to understand the first way Jesus calls any of us, the way Jesus speaks to any of us, is to call us to salvation. The very first time He speaks is to call us to repent of our sins, believe the gospel, follow Him. This is where it begins. Everything about a relationship with Jesus begins by turning from sin and turning to Jesus. It begins by believing Jesus and Jesus alone is the foundation and basis of our hope. That when we make it to heaven, we're going to make it there because He is the one who has saved us. And by choosing to say whatever He says, wherever He leads, I'm going to go. Everything starts there. So if you have never repented, if you have never believed, and you have never made a commitment to follow Jesus, then this morning through the Word of God, Jesus is calling you. He is speaking to you. Repent of your sins. Believe the gospel. Follow Him. But if you have trusted in Jesus, and I want to give us time to pray a prayer out of the Bible. The Bible tells us a story of a young man who was given to the temple to be raised by the priest there. And after he was about 12 years old, he heard a voice speaking to him. Saying his name. And he ran to the high priest and he said, what did you call me? And he said, I didn't. So he went back to bed. And he heard his voice being shouted again. So he went to the high priest and said, I know you called me. He said, I didn't. 
And he heard it a third time and he went and the high priest still said he didn't. But the high priest then realized he was hearing from the Lord because he didn't know him yet. So the high priest told him to go back and he said, when you hear the Lord, say, uh, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So the Lord came and he spoke to Samuel as he did at other times. And Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. I want to give us time today to pray as Samuel prayed. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Father, we love you today. We are amazed at the idea that we can have a real relationship with you. Not just know facts about you, but know you. Know Jesus, whom you sent. I mean, Jesus even said this is what eternal life is, to know you, the one true God, and know Jesus Christ, whom you sent. Father, work in all of our hearts and where maybe we have any sort of religious rules or rituals and and, and we think it's all based upon that free us from that and, and free us to a legitimate relationship with you let us know you let us know jesus let us hear you speak to us through your word let your spirit speak to us and guide us in our lives let us be careful to to test it against your word to check to be sure what we're hearing is you for there is an enemy who would like to deceive us but jesus said that that we would know his voice so well that we would not listen to the enemy. So let us grow in our relationship with you to the point we know Jesus' voice clearly. And when he speaks, we would say, yes, Lord, here am I, send me. Father, we pray as Samuel did, speak, Lord, your servant listens. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, let's stand as our musicians come forward.